welcome to The Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast, where we discuss all things compounding and all things concerning independent pharmacy. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Delicio, North American Sales Director, and Sebastian Dennison, Clinical Compounding Pharmacist. Welcome, Compounding World, and welcome to the latest episode of A Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast. My name is Mike Delisian. I'm the host of this podcast, and once again, joined remotely with Sebastian Dennison due to the COVID-19 social distancing parameters in place. Uh, we've had the chance to record our last few episodes in this manner. Sebastian, how's it going with you? I know this is a bit different considering that we're not in the same studio together uh, while recording one of these podcasts. Uh, it's going well. I feel like we're all sequestered into our own personal uh, crime-fighting bat caves, so... Uh, we've got we've got an exciting episode today, and I'm looking forward to it. I guess the beauty of everything that we do, and and the ability for us to record something like this remotely, uh, still gives us the chance to connect with similar guests, amazing people that we've had on the podcast prior. Uh, one of the most listened to and downloaded podcasts was our discussion around business coaching, and one of the unique units that we have at PCCA is a specific department called CPMS and a major individual from PCCA and used to be a member of our clinical services team was Brian Prescott, serves as the director of business coaching services and um, deals with a lot of unique individuals on a day-to-day basis and also on a one-to-one basis in terms of how he offers coaching and analytical advice uh, while reviewing financial statements, while reviewing cash flow, revenues, marketing trends, et cetera. Brian has had a tremendous experience with the development of a lot of members in the United States and in Canada, and as well as Bill Atan does with individuals across the country, as well as Australia. Brian, uh, like I mentioned, we, we, it was one of our most downloaded podcasts. Welcome back to Mortar and Pestle. We're definitely encouraged to have you in this type of setting, as we're going to probably shift gears today and, and talk more of, of how pharmacies have adapted to the pandemic and and from a business point of view. So Brian, welcome back. It's a pleasure to be here, guys. Thanks for having me again. Well, not in person, but nevertheless, uh, I know we see the the beautiful office that you're working in and Sebastian and I are both in our home offices. I think for the sake of our listeners out there, I teed it up in such a way that we will be talking about adapting in the pandemic, um, adapting in a potential financial crisis as well. So let's cut right to the chase. What are you most worried about? And what are some of the challenges that you've seen specifically on the client end as you try to deal with them one-on-one, not only initially from offering encouragement, but also from a coaching point of view as it pertains to managing capital and cash flow? Well, to state the obvious, it's uncertainty, right? If you were to to define what we're going through right now, it's uncertainty. Uncertainty on how this, uh, how this pandemic is going to play out, what's it going to do to my resources, what's it going to do to my revenues, am I going to be able to sustain the, the way I've done business, is it going to change the way I'd, I've done business? So really, uh, if, I, if I would narrow it down even farther, and I really get as granular as possible, when I, when I ask members what it is that's keeping them up at night is, how can I sustain revenue, and how can I manage expenses? I want to come through this and survive, and uh, my, my advice to them is you do have uh, options. There, there, there are opportunities unique to pharmacy uh, that a lot of other industries don't have. And it, it, kind of, it gives them hope. But as we know, hope is not a strategy. 
What we want to do is give them definable things that they can do to sustain the business that they're having, create as much revenue stream as possible, and manage the expenses to the best of their ability. So that is going to be the focus of what this talk is all about. Well, Brian, like, I, it, like standing back, a lot of people are feeling probably like, oh, well, you know, how do I do this? Why do I do this? Is, is this important? And I'm thinking even from like a very high level point is that we're all starting to recognize that there's changes even in prescribing patterns. And it would probably be like an important analytics to kind of look at what's been changing in the last two months. And, and I'm kind of like, I'm asking, have you seen anything about prescribing and dispensing even in the last two months and, and why it's so important to what this discussion is going to be kind of covering? Yeah, good question, Sebastian. What we've seen over the last few months is something we have never seen before. Uh, I think you'd be really surprised if you were to go back uh, a few weeks ago. And whenever I was first started uh, talking to clients on, on this topic, and, and we're talking about the first, second, and early third week of March, you would be surprised the answers. Most answers were, we are having the best month we have ever had. That is amazing. That's amazing. Uh, but then that followed up with, oh my goodness, where is the business going? We're seeing few, fewer new RXs and it, we're not doing as many refills as we're, we're doing at the beginning of the month. So let me try to draw you a timeline based off of why we think that is. So if you remember back uh, in late December, we first heard this term Wuhan. I had never heard the term Wuhan before. Okay, we got into January and we started to realize there's something going, there's something brewing uh, in, in China specifically. And then a few months later, it started to get to our shores, right? We have one or two cases. We're still not exactly sure how big of a deal this is, but we're, but, but it certainly got our attention. Okay. March 13th, big day, because on that day, we realized this is going to be a big problem. And our executive branch declared a national emergency. Right after that, our state levels de declared a, a national emergency or a, a statewide emergency, but it was all 50 states. So let me, obviously we know that there's an emergency going on. So let me put this in perspective for you. I live in Houston and you guys have uh, now live in Houston. So what natural disaster that, uh, that you or hadn't seen before really gets your attention now? What's kind of unique to our part of the country? It happens about three months out of the year, four months out of the year. <laughs> Hurricanes, Hurricane, yeah. hurricanes, floods, right? This is a big deal. This is something that you guys probably experienced, but I've experienced my whole life because I've always lived here. So let me paint this, this picture for you. We generally know when a storm is brewing. We know when it's going to hit us, okay? And when it does hit us, we hunker down. And if we look at our windows... We, we might see a cow flying by our windows, right? You know, we see roofs being blown off and all of this safe, heavy, heavy rain. And then the governor will get on there and say, statewide emergency. I don't need the governor to tell me that this statewide emergency. I just saw a cow flow by my window, right? But why, what is the significance of that? It makes money available. It releases funds. Because under ordinary circumstances, if cows aren't flying by your window and you want to get some money to improve your, your business, you go to a bank. Right? You'll get a conventional loan, maybe it's bank entire, uh, backed by, entirely by the bank, or maybe it's an SBA type of uh, loan under certain conditions. Right, But the SBA does want you to go to a conventional lender. 
to go get that first, okay? Now, when funds become available in a disaster situation, the SBA says, hey guys, come directly to us, right? We're gonna make disaster funds available to you. And you're not gonna have as much red tape to go through, okay? Tell us you need us, show us that you have, are having a problem or some kind of economic decline, and we will make this money available to you. This is not a new phenomenon. It's happened before, right? But usually it happens locally to whichever area is being affected. In Houston, it's hurricanes. On the West Coast, it's wildfires, uh, earthquakes, that kind of thing. So wherever you're at, you might see these local things pop up and this money become available, but it's generally localized. COVID hit everybody. But consider the timing. Consider the timing. Whenever this started to happen, whenever this declaration is, was made, what was happening at the pharmacy level? Well, people were hoarding. They were in freakout mode to, begin, to, to, to speak as plain as you can. They were hoarding toilet paper and anything else they can get their hands on, right? Including what? Prescriptions. Prescriptions. Prescriptions, exactly. So what you saw is all of those people that generally would get their refills later in the month, perhaps, are all of a sudden calling in. They're trying to get ahead. They're trying to make sure that there's no interruption in my prescription flow, that, that they're not going to run out of meds, that I'll be able to leave the house, that I'll be able to make my doctor's appointment. Pharmacies were busier than they'd ever been. And that's what was happening kind of that second into the third week of March. At the time that basically the SBA said, hey, guys, if you're experiencing economic decline, we can make funds available to you. You have to pay them back. This is not a forgivable loan. And the thought, and, and most people said, well, what about the PPP and what about the forgivable? This wasn't even considered at that time, right? The, the funds are available, but you would have to pay them back. How many pharmacies do you think went after this type of loan? Practically not. If that's an open-ended question, I'm, I'm thinking far less than five or 10%. I would say even less than that. Because why? Two reasons why. They're not struggling, right? If anything, they've had more business than they ever had. And I would even go as far as to say, if they were to go to the SBA and try to make a, a, uh, a, a claim that, hey, I'm experiencing economic decline and they have to show paperwork, the SBA would say, wait a minute, you're actually doing better than you ever have. So it really never occurred to people to actually go after what was called the Economic Injury Disaster Loan, EIDL. Some people did, some people did go after them, but very few did. Arguably, they didn't need to. But then what happened, Mike? Your favorite restaurant closed. The, your, the bar you like to hang out closed. Your barbershop closed, right? Because they're a non-essential business. This followed right behind that, right? So what happened to unemployment? We went from 3% to about 13% in a week, right? What Which happened- is completely unprecedented. And I don't believe there's ever been another time in history that has seen a rise of unemployment that abruptly. Right, and you can go all the way back to the Great Depression. And I've, I've, and I've, and I've thought about this and, and if memory serves, we got to about 30% unemployment at that time, but it didn't happen in a week, right? What happened to the stock market? It was already going down a little bit because airlines were suffering. There's some supply chain issues maybe coming from overseas. So you saw the stock market dip a little bit. What happened when these businesses shut down? And I think we're still not even 
done with with the, the future decline i think right now we're we're in the middle of it i know we don't normally date our podcast knowing that this is going to be the next one up we're, we're talking mid-april and obviously as everything evolves so quickly you look at the financial sector and i don't believe we've truly seen the impact on the on the financial markets as of yet due to the fact that most companies have not reported their earnings and, and that will change things dramatically. Well, just looking at the S&P 500 or the Dow Jones, it absolutely took a nosedive, absolutely took a nosedive. Mm-hmm. And the problem was, and we're talking kind of now the third to fourth week in March, was there, could we see the bottom? No, we had no idea where this was gonna stop. So what did the government do? The government said, we need to get money in the economy, right? And how are we gonna do it? We're gonna send $1,200 checks to certain individuals, right? And we're going to guarantee their, that they get their wages for at least the next two months. And we're gonna call it the PPP, and then the, uh, the Payroll Protection Program, okay? This was part of a bigger program called the CARES Program, right? So there was a lot of elements to it, but as far as our, our pharmacies are concerned, this is how it impacts them. Their, their employees, most of them are gonna get a $1,200 check. And they asked the employers, tell me how much payroll that you generally give to people over a 10-week period. Because what we're going to do is we're going to cut you a check, basically. We're going to send to you, to your pharmacy, essentially two months worth of wages. And what do we want you to do with that? We want you to give it to your employees. Why? So they can pay their rent, so they can go to the grocery store, and they can buy stuff, whether it be on Amazon or, or for whatever locale that they can get it from. They want to put money in the economy. That was its purpose. Now, a lot of business owners read it as a business loan, and it did benefit businesses because essentially what the government has just offered is, tell me what your biggest expense in your pharmacy is, and we're going to take care of it for the next two months. And for most people, that's payroll, right? So now, if you get somebody come in and say, I'm going to pay your biggest expense, all you really have to do is make sure you can maintain enough revenues to cover what? Whatever, pay, whatever you have outside of payroll, right? So I really kind of want to draft that in your idea. And, and consider the timing. Exactly when all those refills started drying up and pharmacies started to get less busy, now they, now they got their attention, right? And all of a sudden, this is offered to them, okay? The timing couldn't have been more perfect for the pharmacy. So most pharmacies said, yes, I want to take advantage of this. And most of them signed up with the PPP. And you're telling me it's forgivable? Even better. Even better. Okay. So kind of keep that in mind. What this money is intended to be for. It's supposed to go to the employees. Employees are supposed to be able to pay their essential expenses and and stimulate the economy. Okay. So, Brian, there's there's a lot of content and a lot of great information that you shared. Some of it, obviously, surface level could be quite obvious. Some of it um, is not obvious, and some of it has been still part of that evolution as people continuously adapt. You mentioned two amazing government resources, and then you start talking about revenue streams, most notably records that were probably shattered in the month of March, and then noticing the sudden drop-off, whereas revenue starts to become more of a concern. So what are some of the potential revenue streams that you've discussed with your clients, and, and what are some of the more... Uh, I guess you can say more of the bigger ideas that you can kind of lead the general public to looking at, uh, knowing that prescription revenue is, is this dr- dropping right now. It's, it's at a lower level than it was definitely in March and probably a lower level than it was in February. 
Great question, Mike. So what I what I try to rationalize with uh, with my clients is most pharmacies have three revenue streams or more, but I can argue that all of them have these three. Okay, one bucket of, of revenues comes from new patients, new prescriptions. One revenue stream and a bucket of revenues come from existing patients and refills. The third bucket comes from OTC front-end sales and any ancillary things you might be able to do. Of those three buckets, given them what's going on in the uh, in the market in 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 you know in in cities across the the nation, which of those three buckets do you think is most at risk? Um, based upon that question, I would possibly guess new prescriptions. Um, Mike, your thoughts? Definitely is probably something that we've seen and we've we've communicated with our members as well. It's an accurate guess, knowing that there's a strain at the physician level. They're not necessarily seeing new patients as well. And and that trickle effect has bound to find its way into the pharmacy. That's that's exactly right. That is the bucket of revenues that is most at risk now, because a lot of these physicians, they've closed altogether during this this downtime. Right. Because. Maybe they're not seeing, maybe they're, they're considered less essential or less emergent care. Let's put it that way. And those that are open, are, it's not business as usual. So if you kind of picture in your mind a doctor's office, they may have three, four, five treatment rooms. They may have a patient in each room. And then they might have three or four people in the waiting room, right? So they can transition pretty quickly to seeing all these patients in five, 10, 15 minute increments and just move on down the line. And they can really see a lot of patients in a day, maybe 60, 70, 80 patients in a day, right? Well, their dynamic has changed significantly. If they're open, they don't have anybody in the waiting room. And a matter of fact, a lot of them are scheduling for people to be in those rooms, right? They're giving them a, a set amount of time. And when they see that patient, that patient leaves, they got to disinfect the entire room. They cannot move through near as many patients. So a, a physician that might be seeing 80 patients a day, maybe you're seeing 20, right? Or if they're doing telemed, same thing. They're not able to transition that quickly and see that many patients. So their patient load has gone down a lot. So are they accepting a lot of new patients? Unlikely. Which patients are they seeing? The patients that need the most urgent care. The follow-ups have to wait. The, the, the lab reports on, on existing patients, they have to wait, right? So they're seeing less patients, so you're going to get fewer new patients, fewer new prescriptions. That is the bucket at most at risk for most people. So what do you do? You have to maximize revenues in the other two buckets, right? So let's start by talking about the refill bucket. Now, if, if Patient has refills, all is great. We have a number of clients that have very robust follow-up programs. They're, they, they notice a patient have a refill, they'll reach out, uh, whether it be by, for, for, from text, emails, or they're calling them and say, hey, are you ready for your refill? But let's analyze a problem that a lot of pharmacies might not have thought about. What about that patient that is sitting at home and they pick up their bottle and they notice at the bottom it says, no refills. And they remember last time that they had a doctor visit. The doctor said, hey, next time, we're not going to refill this again until you have an office visit because we're going to run some labs. We're going to check your levels. We might do a dosing adjustment. So at that, and at that time, we'll refill your prescription. All right. But that patient knows that that doctor is indisposed, whether the doctor's maybe closed altogether, or maybe they're limiting the amount of the, the patients that they see to the more urgent problems, 
right? Either, or maybe the patient just doesn't want to go to the doctor's office because that's where sick people are and they're trying to avoid contact. So there's a lot of reasons why that person just feels like they are hopeless. This patient feels like they're hopeless. They have no refills and they just feel like there is no option for them. As a pharmacist, I know that I could tell that patient, hey, we have in, in place in almost every state the ability to, to refill it on emergency basis. I know that. I'm a pharmacist, right? Most of our pharmacists. Oh, hey, Brian, they, I'm going to jump in on you, by the yeah. way. That's in Canada. That's in Canada, too. Oh, fantastic. Yes. Okay. Uh, but, my, but the real query here is, I have what is called the curse of knowledge. And basically what the curse of knowledge means is I know things that I think other people know, but they don't, right? We assume that they know because we know. And one of them is the ability to do emergency refills. If you were to ask that patient who has never called you to get the refill, did you realize that emergency refills are available? The answer is no. They didn't know, but guess what? They never reached out to you to ask. So this poor patient sitting at home doesn't realize you could have refilled it all along. So whose responsibility should it be to inform them that the emergency refills are in play? The pharmacy. Because the doctors, they're not talking to the doctor, right? So it is it falls upon the pharmacy to inform them. Look, we know right now is a very delicate time. We want to you to take care of your health and we are going to do everything that we can, uh, everything possible to make sure you have no interruption in service. I have been authorized to make available emergency fills and while your doctor's indisposed and we will make sure that your health is a priority and that you are taken care of during this time. They do not know this in advance. You have to tell them. You have to send, you have to do Facebook posts, Instagram, emails or call them, let them know. Not only for those patients that have refills due, the patients that don't have refills due. You need to reach out to them. You need to be proactive because again, we gotta make sure we're maximizing that refill bucket. So what I, my advice to them, my advice to the pharmacy is this. Reach, when you reach out to the patient, don't make it a sales call. Don't just call them and say, hey, you ready for your refill? These patients, again, don't have a lot of access to their doctor. Where do you think they're getting most of their information about COVID? CNN. Oh, definitely the mainstream media. The, the, the media. Yeah. Yeah. Now, we are in healthcare. We are trained on things like, what's the difference between a bacteria and a virus, right? How does this thing replicate? What are the pre-existing conditions that make this more burdensome for some than others, right? We have, again, that curse of knowledge. There are some things that we know that a lot of people don't. Where they're getting their information is CNN, Fox News, or any of the mainstream other news streams, right? And they can't call their doctor. Wouldn't it be nice if their pharmacy reached out to them and said, hey, do you have any questions about COVID that we can answer for you, right? So we can make sure that they are educated. They are afraid. A lot of people are afraid because there's this big scary thing out there that they're hearing on the news is going to get them, right? They don't have any control over it because there's no vaccine and no real established treatment protocols, right? So they're worried. You can really help them with that, all right? Again, what they can be in control of is one thing, 
their health, right? So my thoughts are if the, if the pharmacy can reach out to them and answer any questions that they have, and oh, by the way, how are you taking care of yourself, right? Are you making sure that your body is at its maximum capacity and maximum ability when you have to weather the storm. And again, I'll go back to the hurricane example. Whenever we know a storm is coming, everybody in our town does the same thing. We go make sure our gas tanks are full, we had an oil change, we got uh, good tires, and we got good wiper fluid, right? And, and, and good windshield wipers, because we might have to drive out in that storm. We don't want to drive out in the storm with an eighth of a tank of gas and flat tires, right? Same thing with the body. We want to get that body as prepared as possible. So. We have all of these uh, resources for you at our pharmacy and we'd be happy to educate you and we'd be happy to send them to you. So really you're being an advocate for their health. And oh, by the way, worried about not having refills? We got, your cover. we got you covered. We have your back. We will make sure that your health is our priority and we're gonna make sure that all of your prescriptions are filled so your body is running to its maximum capacity in the event that you're exposed. That is how you maintain that refill revenue, okay? And at the same time, what about the OTC revenue? If you're not selling more nutritionals than you have ever sold before, then I'd be surprised, right? That's what the people are in control over. And there's an argument that, well, they might not spend their money on these things. The fact remains, a lot of them are sequestered at home and they're not spending their money a lot in the economy. But one thing I, I would be pretty... Uh, uh, sure that they are spending money on is their health, is their health. So not only are we maintaining that revenue bucket for re uh, refills, we're, we can maintain that revenue bucket for OTCs. Now, kind of now, now put that in perspective. For the next two months, if you're able to maintain revenues in those two areas, and somebody else is paying for your labor, then all you have to do is survive the next two months with the revenue streams to cover all of your other expenses. Now, what happens in two months? What happens when you exhaust the PPP and all of a sudden those expenses are now yours again? Several things could happen. They could extend the PPP program, right? There's talk of that, okay? Put more funding in it for right now or extend it. That is an option. But what if that doesn't happen? And all of a sudden these pharmacies now are responsible for maintaining all of the, uh, or, or covering all of their expenses. And they've experienced now a little bit of a downturn, economic downturn. What do they do now? E-I-D-L. Remember that loan that we talked about that they might not have qualified for because the, things were great or they didn't think to at the time? Mm -hmm. They have until December 16th to be able to take advantage of that money. Yeah, it, it's not forgivable. But what I would do at that point is after I exhaust the PPP, and if I do think that I will be experiencing more economic decline, what you can do is you can look at all of your expenses for the next three months, four months, five months, six months, okay? and find out how much that is. Apply for the EIDL. You don't have to start making payments on the principal or interest for a year. Interest is 3.75%. So let's say my expenses over that period of time is $200,000. So I go and I ask for $200,000, I put it in a bank account and I hope I never use it, 
right? But if you need it, it's there. And so if, you, if you're able to maintain enough revenue to cover everybody at the pharmacy and all your expenses, then great. And then when everything returns to normal and the doctors are back in the office, if there's a big stack of money still in there, send it back and just pay on anything that you might have used. You have, these are, these loans you can uh, amortize over 30 years. So in the, in the short term, most of our people have the PPP at their disposal. Most, a lot of them have applied. I, I do understand that the funds are running low at, for that at this time, but hopefully it'll, it, there'll be more funding for it for anybody who hasn't taken advantage of it. So assuming that you can take advantage of that and you're not worried about those expenses over the next two months, you have a plan for whenever you get on the other side of those two months, the EIDL, right? There, and, and that will fund the pharmacy at least through the end of 2020. So we're talking about, as of 2021, uh, hopefully everything is returned to normal. But, there, but as far as maintaining a positive cash flow or having cash at your disposal all the way through 2020, you have these economic programs in place to be able to make sure that your, if the revenues aren't high enough, you can cover your expenses. This is a plan. And these are the next steps. It, Brian, it's it's a it's a very very different way of looking at that loan program. I think most people just assume, hey, if I'm going to take out the loan, I got to pay back the entire loan. And, but your comment about sticking in the bank, drawing at what you need, and just give it all back when you get it right away—that um, brilliant, very insightful. Just I, I, my my mouth was agape when you were talking about that because most people don't even think of it that way. So that's awesome. I'll, well, I'll keep I talking. I just had to throw that in there. Oh, certainly. Well, and I think the misconception is, well, I got the PPP, so I can't get the EIDL or the EIDL is no longer available. That's not true. It's still out there, but just most people haven't taken advantage of it. And again, if you gave them financials that said, hey, I'm doing better than I ever have, they might not even be entertained to give you one of those loans. But for those pharmacies that might have had some downturn, and we'll see this over the next couple months, if you go to them and say, look, I do, this is hurting me. I would like to cover my working capital expenses for the next three, four, five, six months, whatever it is that you want to cover, now you have a case to be able to get some of that emergency funding. It is still there. That is the misconception that I think a lot of people have. Brian, that was loaded with, with incredibly important information. And I know a lot of that stuff was discussed on one of the PCCA member briefing webinars that we launched um, sometime in the month of April. Just thinking about the rest of the year, and I think it's something that you've also alluded to as you start talking about the rest of 2020 and going into 2021. Uh, you know, what are some of the other next steps or, or other things that can be deployed uh, in a situation where cash flow becomes extremely important? I heard something today that uh, I, I thought was very interesting. We mentioned that the, the revenue bucket number one, right? The prescriber, the new prescriber and the new prescriptions coming in was probably gonna be the most at risk. And what, what we have come to know over the last couple of weeks are a lot of our pharmacies have exposure to these economic programs. They're aware of them. All right. Now, hopefully this conversation lets them know how to deploy those, but at least they are aware of those. A lot of physician groups were not aware of these. And this came to our surprise because we had a number of members reach out to their doctors and their doctors 
had had expressed the fact that they're having economic difficulties, right? Whether it be because they weren't didn't know about the funding or they're having issues with the telemed. So uh, earlier this week, we actually did a piece that we, it's a shareable webinar that you can share with your prescribers, right? Tell them about these programs that are in place. Make sure that they're aware that they can take advantage of these as well. And we actually even uh, invited a lady named Cindy Moon to talk about telemed options or telehealth options. So what I would do is reach out to your prescribers and tell them these programs are available so you can maintain their viability during the next two months and beyond because we need those physicians to also do well. And I, asked, and I heard a, 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 something bounce through the consulting department and Sebastian, you probably saw this as well. Uh, and it has to do with these testosterone injections, which I thought was kind of uh, unique. So these urologists that are doing the testosterone implants or, or, or this kind of thing, they can't make those appointments and they can't administer those. So what is an option for them? Reach out to those. Doctors. They're switching. They're switching. And what are they switching to, Sebastian? Or what can they switch to? What's available to them? Uh, they're, they're all switching to the topical testosterone and atrevis base like it's just a, it's go. an easy switch and like you said removing the inter personal interaction with needles right yeah and even so even if that's a short-term fix those kind of innovative ideas i think are what you really need to start thinking about how can we minimize that that disruption to bucket number one and this might be one of those so i thought that was a great example of somebody that was being pretty uh forward thinking so you've talked about all these programs, you've talked about the resources, you've talked about kind of coming up with a plan, but, but again, like we're talking about people who are literally head down in the trenches dealing with, with so many variables that is so rapidly changing right now. And I'm going to, I'm going to borrow a term that I heard. How would you triage the next two months, three months, six months in a business perspective? I, I think we go back to the, the revenue stream and the bucket number two. I think that that is the most important thing that needs to be addressed immediately. Reach out to your patients. Let them not also anybody that has refills, obviously continue your patient uh, 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 follow up program with them. But reach out to those patients and let them know that the emergency refill program exists. Right. How are you going to do that? Get on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, send them an email or call them. Once they know that that is an available uh, uh, avenue for them, I think that that will generate revenues in the short term. Ask them about their nutritional status. To let them know that you are the resource for making sure their health is what it, uh, is at their maximum capacity. What I would do is I, I suggest doing short uh, Facebook commercials, getting on there. And a number of our clients have already done this. They'll 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 post. Uh, the nutritional requirements or the nutritional suggestions they would have. I would probably do these in very short pieces. And you'll have these short 15, 30, 45 second pieces that you can post on Facebook, Instagram, or send out as uh, literature in emails. So being that resource and being in front of them because patients are home and, and quite frankly, a lot of them are very scared and they're, they're, they're at home watching Netflix and checking their Facebook. They are a candid audience for this kind of information. Right. So maintaining those revenue streams into your refill bucket, into your OTC bucket, maybe we can uh, capitalize on some of those new options. Like we talked with testosterone, that's a pretty innovative idea and already put in your mind a plan of what you're going to do once the PPP, if you've got if you've got the PPP 
what are you going to do when that that program has run its course for the next two months? Have a plan on the opposite end, right? So don't just hope that there, there's going to be a plan out there for you. Again, hope is not a strategy. You got once you have a plan in place, you'll be able to sleep better at night. Brian, thank you so much for all, for all of that info. Um, Mike, I'm going to turn it back to you because I think being on the business side of things, you, you're so much more uh, thoughtful on any other questions you have at this point. Brian, I think the only, the last thing that I have is, is probably more of a continuation from our first podcast together rather than, than this one in general. I did mention your, your impact, your involvement, and the integration with CPMS and compounding member pharmacies that do acquire your services. What are, what are some of the new tools and things that you've put into place that, you know, outside of COVID-19 and, and dealing with the pandemic that are so important for you as you still read financial statements, you still give them guidance on, on marketing support and kind of where they can steer their own direction. And how have you been assisting individuals in a different way since the last time that we spoke? Well, and it's a lot the same that we, from the last time we spoke, but I think having those financial reports are making our, our CPMS clients much more aware of how it's impacting their business because they have that historical data, right? They can look at the first quarter of 2019. They can go back a year ago and say, where was I in 2019 and where am I in 2020? So if you look at that first quarter, they have a very good idea on what, how many, what was their, uh, their volume what was the revenue streams look like? And they have something they can compare. So they're very, very tuned into these subtle changes on the dynamics of the prescribing patterns and the revenues. So they, they're just very, very insightful as far as that goes. So right now we're collecting, matter of fact, all the 2019 uh, profit loss statements, and we're gonna do our, our traditional benchmarks and all of that. And of course, before all of this happened, we, we were very in tune to giving them uh, options on uh, marketing. Right, uh, whether it's the cannabidiol, whether it's the lotus naltrexone, unfortunately, that we've had to put that on pause right now because of the indisposed doctors' offices. But we now what we're doing is focusing our attention on if you can't make that office visit, how are you helping your doctors? Right. Well, one of them is offering these economic programs, make sure they're aware. Another one is, hey doc, how are you doing on hand sanitizer? Is there anything we can help you with that? Right. Uh, how are you and your staff uh, on nutritionals? We can help you with that. So that kind of refocusing the marketing efforts, which are still there, just repurposing them for whatever the current climate is. So that's what we've been up to, Mike. Which is a lot uh, and encapsulated into a probably a, a very short statement. I think for those that do have interest in learning more about business coaching and some of the services that are offered by your department and yourself specifically, um, I highly encourage members of PCCA to reach out to you directly. And Brian, I'm sure you probably don't mind, but could we share your email address for direct communication? Is that okay? Absolutely. Absolutely. A lot of the resources that we traditionally reserve for our CPMS clients, we're trying to share with a bigger, uh, a broader swath of, of our entire membership, because again, this is how we can benefit. This is this is our part to play in this in this COVID response. Is all you know? What resources do we have that we can share with the with the masses? Because our our interests lie with with their interests, right? They succeed and we succeed. So, yes, absolutely. Share share them the email, and I'll be happy to uh, to answer any questions. 
feel free to say it yourself so that you're responsible. That I'm responsible? Absolutely. Yeah. We all have our part to play, Mike. <laughs> no, no, I don't mean that. I, I, I would normally name drop or offer people's email address, but sure, you could be contacted directly at B Prescott. Oh, okay. Yeah. B is in boy, B is in boy Prescott, B Prescott, B P R E S C O T T at P C C A R X.com. It sounds so much better for you because now if you get a whole bunch of emails, it's not my fault. Okay, Mike. <laughs> but Brian, honestly, I know the, the podcast is simply a platform to communicate with our guests. Uh, it, it's a platform, obviously, to showcase some of the talent that we have here on the PCCA team and, and yourself being included in, in, as part of that. So I, we appreciate you coming on today. You're a big part of um, our initiative in terms of trying to educate pharmacists from a, a member briefing point of view. And that's something that we've done frequently uh, throughout the course of this pandemic. And we definitely appreciate your involvement with our, our, our front-facing communication teams. And, and obviously, this is, once again, an extra platform for you to communicate how you've been helping. And you dropped so much knowledge today that I'm, I'm sure this is something that people will probably have to listen to you two or three times to fully grasp what's available to them and what are some of the next steps as they embark in this, uh, in this specific journey. We, we hope to have you back on the podcast and probably a more, some brighter spirits as things tend to turn and, and hopefully gain more positivity throughout the year. Uh, you're definitely welcome back at any point, at any time, Brian. So I really appreciate you coming on today. My pleasure guys. Brian, we miss you over in uh, clinical services, but we know that you've uh, you've done an amazing job over at CPMS, and and but but I think everyone understands like the value that you bring in on on both sides of the team. So, uh, thank you for joining us again today. Yep, you're welcome, Seth. And thanks again to all of our listeners out there for tuning into this week's episode of A Mortar and Pestle. As a quick reminder, please view our COVID-19 resource page to stay up to date with the latest information and any specific updates relating to what PCCA is currently doing throughout this pandemic. As always, please follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And as a reminder to always subscribe so you do not miss an episode. Until next time, this is Mike Delisio, and thanks again for listening. <laughs>